we're going to put a lot of coal miners and coal companies out of business. Donald Trump is too. Imagine that. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's one reason. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA and in Byron's. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Out in Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KBGD, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe. Every day for you on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. You can run, but you can't hide from the world-famous Bradcast. Thank you very much for Joining us today, I am uh, Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today when there is, as usual, a lot going on. Uh, But why should this day be like any other day Uh, lately? It's not Passover, after all. (laughs) Little uh, inside joke for my Jewish friends there. So, uh, hi, Desi Doyen. Hello. You're going to love this story. Let's uh, start off here. A federal utility board voted today to close a coal fired power plant in Kentucky. That's right, in coal country, despite objections from President Donald Trump and U.S. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky. In a move that the federal board says will save its more than 10 million customers, $320 million. $320 million from closing this one coal-fired power plant. Sounds like a good idea to me just based on that. The Federal Utility Board, uh, known as the Tennessee Valley Authority, voted to retire the last remaining coal-fired unit at the Paradise Fossil Plant. Yes, it's actually called Fossil Plant. And it's actually called Paradise. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Uh, Along the Green River, this is in Mullenberg County, Kentucky. The decision could put 131 people out of work and could affect an additional 135 people who work in nearby coal mines. And then, of course, you add to it all the people that are affected, uh, all the businesses and so forth that are nearby who might be affected as well. This uh, one of the uh, coal mines that uh, could uh, be shut down here 
is one that is run by one of Trump's top funders. It's a coal mine that supplies that plant. The board also voted to close the Bull Run fossil plant. That's near Oak Ridge, Tennessee, also coal country, by uh, the end of 2023. Okay, so remember back in 2016 how Fox News and the wingnuts on the right over and over and over again played this clip of Hillary Clinton in their attack ads against her. Hillary Clinton speaking at I think it was a campaign rally in in hopes of attacking her. We're going to put a lot of coal miners and coal companies out of business. Well, that sounds bad. That's what uh, Fox News disingenuously showed over and over and over again, trying to attack Hillary Clinton. But here is the full context of her remark. I'm the only candidate which has a policy about how to bring economic opportunity using clean renewable energy as the key into coal country because we're going to put a lot of coal miners and coal companies out of business. Right, Tim? And we're going to make it clear that we don't want to forget those people. Those people labored in those mines for generations, losing their health, often losing their lives to turn on our lights and power our factories. Now we've got to move away from coal and all the other fossil fuels. But I don't want to move away from the people who did the best they could to produce the energy that we relied on. So she was trying to make the point that she does, as she says, we don't want to forget those people the people that we relied on to to get this energy for so many years who have uh, given their lives in the coal mines. That was the full context of her remark that Fox News played over and over again as uh, we want to put coal miners out of work. Yes, and remember when the New York Times and all the other corporate media outlets were focusing on her emails instead of her policies, one of the policies that they failed to cover was that Clinton had proposed a $30 billion just transition fund to assist coal country with new economic development, job training, uh, backing up retired coal miners' pensions, etc. Which is what she was talking about there, about investing in coal country so these people, when these uh, coal plants were inevitably shut down, would not be out of luck. The uh, Tennessee Valley Authority CEO Bill Johnson said it's not about coal. This decision is about economics. It's about keeping rates as low as feasible. The decision continues the TVA's trend of retiring its aging coal-fired power plants in favor of cheaper and cleaner energy sources, including natural gas. At one time, Mullenberg County, according to AP here, was the nation's top coal producer, But since then, the coal industry has declined as energy companies look for more efficient, that means less expensive, and yes, less deadly ways to produce power. The Paradise Fossil uh, Plant in Kentucky opened back in the 1960s. It was designed to produce power all the time, 24-7, 365. But much of that energy is wasted during low usage times, such as in the early morning. That's one of the problems with coal-fired power plants. And one of the reasons why they're disappearing is because they take so long to power up and to power back down. You can't just, you know, pop them uh, into into use when they're needed, like a so-called peaker plant. Yeah, is that peaker what they call plants them? are they're, they're called peaker plants. They show up when there's a peak in demand. When you suddenly need them. Yes, but quickly. with these coal plants, you kind of got to keep them on all the time and burn coal. 
that doesn't need to be burned produced energy that is not needed and, by the way, produced pollution that kills people and is destroying uh, civilization on the planet. Yeah, but that's you know, a small thing. It's one of the biggest contributors to climate change. And don't forget that coal-fired power plant mercury emissions are responsible for mercury contamination in our fish. And what you eat. Exactly. exactly. So, you know, these, uh, th- these coal plants are going away. Coal is going away. Period. Now, the Trump administration has, of course, vowed to save the coal industry, which they knew was impossible. Or if they did not know it, then they were incredibly stupid, perhaps because their political advisors are the liars and tools on Fox News. That's where they get their information. So they were all able to imagine they were somehow going to save coal. The Appalachian region is the heart of coal country, and they overwhelmingly voted for Donald Trump back in the 2016 presidential election in no small part because he was lying to them about saving their industry, while the other candidate, Hillary Clinton, was not only telling them the truth about their industry, but trying desperately, desperately to spend some $30 billion in order to retrain them so they would not be out of work and out of skills when their jobs were inevitably disappeared, as they are, even under Donald Trump. Now, Trump tweeted on Monday in a a tweet, uh, frankly, Des, I don't know if you saw the tweet, it is obviously not actually (laughs) written by him. Right, because it's grammatically correct and well-spelled. Yeah, and it uses where, well, he said, coal is an important part of our electricity generation mix. Donald Trump doesn't say electricity generation mix. (laughs) I mean, that's That's, uh, too many complicated multisyllabic words. Exactly. Uh, And the tweet urged the uh, Tennessee Valley Authority to, quote, give serious consideration to all factors before voting to close viable power plants like Paradise Number 3 in Kentucky. Suppliers of that plant include the uh, mine I mentioned, uh, owned by one of Trump's biggest campaign donors. That would be Bob Murray of Murray Energy. The TVA board members serve five-year terms, and they're appointed by the president. So, uh, so far, Trump has appointed four of the board's nine members. However, there are still two vacancies on this board. So that gives Trump, or Trump appointees in any event, a four-to-three majority on this, on this board. And yet, they still voted to close the plant. And not by four-to-three, they voted six-to-one to close this plant. So to review, even with Trump as president and a majority of Trump appointees on this uh, commission and a coal mine run by Donald Trump's biggest supporter, all in the heart of Appalachian coal country, which supported Donald Trump and a president willing to essentially publicly interfere with this utility board by tweeting at them to keep the plants open, they still could not save these plants because coal cannot and should not, but certainly cannot be saved. It's too expensive. It's too deadly. It's too dirty. They are saving customers, taxpayers, ratepayers, $320 million with this closure, not to mention the external costs of health care. From the public health impacts of living with pollution like asthma. These dirty plants, right? Uh, and, uh, and, And as I said, saving the planet by shutting this garbage down. 
And while Trump was lying to those people who apparently fell for it because they voted for him by huge numbers, lying that uh, he could somehow save their industry, Hillary Clinton was actually trying to save their lives and their livelihoods with $30 billion in investments to retrain these folks so they could keep working and keep producing power for the region, whether it's in solar jobs or wind jobs, etc., and grow jobs. Saving money at the same time on power and health care and saving the planet. But th those folks voted for the con artist instead who couldn't save a damn thing. And now these folks will be out of work. Trump's tweet uh, was not enough to persuade the board. It appears that the only no vote came from a guy named Kenny Allen, who is a retired coal executive on the board. He lives in Kentucky. Uh, he says, I'm not just I'm just not completely comfortable with the recommendation because the impact and ripple effect on community cannot be fully qualified. Well, that is true. And had he listened to Hillary Clinton warning about exactly that and what to do about it, instead of giving up that 30 billion dollars they would be enjoying right now. This is where they are. Meanwhile, here in Los Angeles, we are not only getting rid of coal for power production entirely. The uh, the mayor just announced that we are also getting rid of natural gas for electricity generation. So we will soon be 100 percent clean here, at least when it comes to electricity. Yep. Uh, Desi Doyen, you will join us for a Green News report a little bit later on with uh, that story and much more including the freakout by the right over the Green <laughs> New Deal, which, just like the lies about Hillary Clinton, folks on the right may be falling for again. Will they ever learn? Will they? Don't know. I don't, I don't suspect they ever will, at least not as long as uh, they keep tuning in to Fox News, who keeps lying to them. Hey, and propaganda their, works. That's works. why they do it. But it's making their lives worse, and it's killing them. Uh, so hopefully they tune into the broadcast and they'll get real information <laughs> and the truth and they can save their own goddamn lives in the bargain. All right. In other news today, William Barr was confirmed as the U.S. the new U.S. attorney general, uh, putting him in command of the Justice Department at one of the most politically charged moments in its history, according to The Washington Post. Senators voted 54 to 45, mostly along party lines, to confirm Barr. He had previously served as the AG for about a year, I think, under George H.W. Bush. Uh, at the time, he had successfully pushed for pardons by then-President Bush of a whole passel of folks who were involved in and found guilty of crimes in the Iran-Contra affair. The outcome of this uh, confirmation vote today, however, was not a surprise. Three Democrats did cross the line, cross the aisle to vote for Barr. That would be Senators Kirsten Sinema of Arizona, Doug Jones of Alabama, and Desi, your friend, Joe Manchin of West Virginia. Mm -hmm. They all mm -hmm. voted for, uh, for William Barr. Uh, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky voted against Barr's nomination. Hey, uh, Rand Paul finally followed through with a threat to vote against Donald Trump in some way. <laughs> what do you know? When it wouldn't make a difference. Exactly. No difference whatsoever, however he wanted to, to vote. So courage, Rand, keep up the good work. Now, now uh, with uh, Barr confirmed, 
he will now be supervising the Robert Mueller special counsel probe into whether Trump uh, Trump's campaign in 2016 worked with Russia to swing the election and whether Donald Trump and friends obstructed justice in order to prevent that probe. Barr says he considers Robert Mueller a friend. He will now oversee the probe at a a very sensitive time, as it is widely presumed, according to Washington Post, that Mueller is nearing the end of his work and as lawmakers and the public are eager to learn his conclusions. Perhaps Barr's most critical decision will be what, if anything, to tell Congress and the public about whatever it is that Mueller reports to him. The special counsel regulation calls for Mueller to provide the attorney general with a, quote, confidential report explaining who he did and did not decide to prosecute and for the attorney general then to notify Congress of the investigation's end. Essentially, all he's got to do is tell them it's over. Uh, And he must include any steps that Mueller wanted to take that were vetoed by Barr. So at least we would have that given to Congress. The regulations give Barr some latitude to release uh, information publicly, however. Barr uh, noted during his confirmation that under normal circumstances, prosecutors would not reveal information about those they chose not to charge, which could include, of course, the president of the United States. If, in fact, the DOJ sticks with their position that a sitting president cannot be indicted, so even if he was perfectly indictable under Barr's theory there. We might never know about it. That, of course, has upset uh, some lawmakers. And uh, during his confirmation hearings, he declined to guarantee that he would release Mueller's findings at all, much less in full. Uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein, the highest ranking Democrat on the Senate Judiciary Committee, said in a statement today that she considered Barr's refusal to promise to release Mueller's report to be, quote, disqualifying. She said, while I opposed Bill Barr's nomination, it's my hope that he'll remember he is the people's lawyer, not the president's lawyer. Opponents of Barr also pointed to a memo that he wrote, of course, to justice officials before his nomination when he criticized Mueller's investigation for the way that it was presumably looking into whether Trump had obstructed justice. Barr wrote at the time that Trump could not have obstructed justice by firing former FBI director James Comey, since that was an action that the president was constitutionally entitled to take, even though experts say that, uh, well, he's entitled to fire the FBI director, but not for corrupt purposes, which is what they are. uh, Many are, are charging Trump did here. Barr is also likely to soon select his own people to fill the upper ranks of the Justice Department. Department, uh, I'm sorry, Deputy AG, Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, is expected to therefore step down soon, though he's told people that he is willing to stay on to ensure a smooth transition. His departure would leave the Justice Department's number two and number three positions unfilled by Senate-confirmed leaders. In other news, both houses are voting uh, today on their negotiated agreement to fund the government, including a $23 billion border security package with uh, $1.4 billion for 55 miles of new border wall, though uh, it includes provisions that say it cannot be built in national parks or wildlife refuges. 
and is uh, amounts to less money and fewer miles of wall than Donald Trump could have had last year had he only signed what Congress had agreed to last year when he said he also agreed to it. So will he sign this one? Well, right now, lawmakers think so. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says Trump has indicated he's prepared to sign the funding bill and and issue a national emergency on the border in order to get the rest of the five point seven billion dollars that he was demanding for his border wall. Now, when McConnell says that Trump is expected to sign it, well, he was also expected to sign the measure that the same Senate passed last year before Christmas until Ann Coulter scared the president into not signing that one. And uh, that kicked off the longest federal shutdown in U.S. history. Hundreds of thousands of federal workers without paydays, food going uninspected across the country, air traffic controllers unable to keep working. The poor, the elderly, the disabled put at risk of losing their housing all until Trump finally caved and ended it after 35 days. So, sure, he's expected to sign this bill and he probably will. But Ann Coulter tweeted again on Thursday afternoon and this time in all caps. So, you know, she means it. She tweeted all caps. National emergency won't help. It's over. If he signs this bill, that sounds like a threat. (laughs) Of course, uh, the Senate nonetheless easily passed the 1700 page, 330 billion dollar measure to fund nearly a dozen government agencies and avoid a partial shutdown Friday at midnight if the House passes it as expected and if the president signs it. The House is expected uh, to vote on the bill here in just a few hours, though there is a small hitch, if we can even call it that, uh, from a group of freshman Democrats who announced today they they would not support the bill. Four progressive House freshmen announced that they will vote no on the border deal. They uh, regard it as uh, supporting, quote, abusive agencies and hateful policies, priorities and rhetoric. Congresswomen Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, Ilan Omar of Minnesota, Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, and Rashida Tlaib of Michigan all announced their opposition in a joint statement on Thursday. The diverse House progressives, all women, but a mix of Latina and black and Muslim backgrounds, uh, including one immigrant, uh, said in their statement, In this country, our diversity is our greatest strength. Immigrants fuel our national economy, enrich our nation's culture, and in- enhance our social fabric. Quite simply, we are a better nation because of our immigrants. And yet, this administration continues to threaten the dignity and humanity of our immigrant population. The Department of Homeland Security has separated thousands of children from their parents, denied asylum to those fleeing danger, and used taxpayer dollars as a slush fund to incite terror in immigrant communities. The efficacy of a government agency must be determined by assessing outcomes. They write that by any reasonable measure, Donald Trump's weaponization of ICE and CPB, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection, has been a failure. The Department of Homeland Security does not deserve an increase in funding, and that's why we intend to vote no on this funding package. The funding bill on the floor today does not address any of our concerns and instead gives more money to these abusive agencies. And then they 
right about the additional funding that is uh, billions and billions that is going to these uh, agencies, concluding we want to be abundantly clear this is not a rebuke of federal workers or those who depend on the services they provide, but a rejection of the hateful policies, priorities and rhetoric of the Trump administration. Indeed, the uh, spending measure also grants a 1.9 percent pay raise to federal workers, uh, including those who were furloughed for uh, 35 days thanks to Trump's shutdown. It does not, however, include back pay for federal uh, contract workers who were out of work during that period. In any event, uh, we'll see if Trump actually does sign it. And then if he declares a pretend national emergency, which would immediately kick off a raucous legal saga uh, as challenges to his pretend emergency and, and theft, frankly, of billions of taxpayer dollars allocated to the military for an emergency that doesn't exist, that would all then commence. McConnell and other Republicans are against the idea of him declaring a national emergency since they fear that it's going to make it easier for a Democratic president to do the same when they uh, inevitably do not win support from Congress for any particular thing. But this is the bed that they are now lying in. Emphasis on lying. Nancy Pelosi noted as much today in response to McConnell's suggestion that Trump would be declaring a national emergency. First of all, it's not an emergency, what's happening at the border. It's a humanitarian challenge to us. The president has tried to sell a bill of goods to America. But putting that aside, just in terms of uh, the president making an end run around Congress, I know the Republicans have some unease about it, no matter what they say, uh, because if the president can declare an emergency on something that he has created as an emergency, it, 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 an illusion that he wants to convey... Just think of what a president with different values can present to the American people. You want to talk about a national emergency? Let's talk about today, the one-year anniversary of another manifestation of the epidemic of gun violence in America. That's a national emergency. Why don't you declare that emergency, Mr. President? I wish you would. But a Democratic president can do that. A Democratic president can declare emergencies as well. So the precedent that the president is setting here is something that should be met with great unease and dismay uh, by the Republicans. And, of course, we will respond accordingly uh, when we review our options. First, we have to see what the president actually says. Nancy Pelosi responding to the uh, notion that Donald Trump is going to declare a national emergency a pretend one in order to finish building his wall. So listen, no, when the president of the United States ultimately does issue a national emergency, if he does a proclamation here for the border, do not be alarmed. If this were a real emergency, as they say, <laughs> uh, he wouldn't have waited for months to find out uh, if he could pretty please have the money he needed to build the wall that nobody other than suckers, dupes, patsies, pawns and gullible chumps who watch Fox News, who also thought he would save the coal industry that only those folks want to see. They never learn, but you should learn. So do not be panicked. Stay calm. It's not an actual emergency. It's a Donald Trump emergency. It's as fake and phony as Donald Trump's hairdo and just about anything he does. Quick break, and we are back with more from some of those progressive uh, freshman congresswomen. Right after this, I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. 
Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, you may have seen a story, by the way, over at uh, Daily Beast this week uh, about the uh, DHS task forces that were supposed to uh, oversee elections or, or try to protect your elections in 2020, and that basically they are being allowed to wither on the vine before 2020. Um yeah, I, I had hoped to get to that. I'll, I'll try to get to it on an upcoming show. But to, to basically say, you know what, don't worry about that either, in that DHS was never going to protect your elections. You're going to protect your elections. That's why we fight so hard for things like hand-marked paper ballots. DHS was never going to do it. DHS didn't even bother to look at the 2016 voting machines to see if that election was in some fashion manipulated or stolen from hackers uh, either overseas or right here at home. So uh, anyway, I'll try to get to that uh, at another date because it's uh, I know a lot of people are troubled by that story. And, and in it one, is trouble. Yeah, in one sense they should be. And in another sense, they shouldn't be because you can't rely on DHS. We need to rely on ourselves. And that's why we talk about what we talk about on this show and having voting systems that we can oversee, that the public can oversee. But listen, I'll get to another time because there's a couple of um, audio clips that I want to play here, extended audio clips that I want to play. Uh, one of them I've been carrying around for a week trying to find time for. So let me see if I can fit them both in right now. And then, of course, we've got a Green News report coming up. Yep. From Desi Doyne in a bit, and we'd hate to cut that out, wouldn't we? <laughs> yes, we would. So uh, anyway, let me start with this one from uh, Wednesday in the House Foreign Affairs Committee on Wednesday. Freshman Representative Elon Omar of Minnesota, Democrat, questioned Donald Trump's special Venezuela envoy, Elliot Abrams, who... Uh, years ago had pleaded guilty to counts, two counts of lying to Congress, withholding information during the Iran-Contra affair back in the 1980s. He was found guilty of these federal charges before he was then pardoned by the president for whom he worked, George H.W. Bush. Congresswoman Omar the, is the first Somali-American to serve in Congress, and along with Rashida Tlaib, she is the first uh, Muslim-American woman to serve in Congress as well. She had a few tough and, frankly, totally fair questions for Elliot Abrams. 
all served up with a smile, by the way, which you can't see on the radio, but you'll have to trust me there. This from uh, Omar, uh, the smile from her, if not from Abrams. <laughs> Definitely dem- no, not. <laughs> uh, demonstrating once again the importance of having this new crop of progressive members of Congress in the House of Representatives. Speaking out for the people. Uh, Abrams, for his part, uh, and despite his involvement in various U.S. war crimes and atrocities over the years. And convictions for them. Right. uh, On behalf of various Republican presidents. He was, for some reason, pulled out of mothballs by the Donald Trump administration, incredibly enough, to work on Latin American foreign policy. As I said, he is now the special Venezuela envoy. Here was Representative Elon Omar's five minutes with Elliot Abrams on Wednesday. Thank you, Chairman. Um, Thank you all for being here, and thank you for your uh, testimonies. Mr. Adams, in 1991, you pleaded guilty to two counts of withholding information from Congress regarding your involvement in the Iran Kortra affair, for which you were later pardoned by President George H.W. Bush. I fail to understand uh, why members of this committee or the American people should find any testimony that you give uh, today to be truthful. If I can respond to that. Uh, um, it wasn't a question. Uh, I, On it was Febu- that was it not, was that was not a question. I that was the I, I reserve the right I'm, to my time. It is not, it is not right. That was Remember not a question. can attack On February a 8th. Who is not permitted to reply. That. Okay, so uh, very quickly, I'll just break in here to say that, no, it was not an attack, as he was claiming. It was an actual recitation of actual facts. He actually was found guilty, and he was actually pardoned. Continue. That was not a question. Thank you for your participation. On February 8th, (laughs) 1982, you testified before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee about U.S. policy in El Salvador. In that hearing, you dismissed as communist propaganda report about the massacre of El Mosote, in which more than 800 civilians, including children as young as two years old, were brutally murdered by U.S. trained troops. During that massacre, some of those troops bragged about raping a 12-year-old girl before they killed them girls before they killed them. You later said that the U.S. policy in El Salvador was a fabulous achievement. Yes or no, do you still think so? From the day that President Duarte was elected in a free election to this day, El Salvador has been a democracy. That's a fabulous achievement. Yes or no, do you think that massacre was a fabulous achievement that happened under our watch. That is a ridiculous question, and I yes will not or no? No. I I sorry, will take, I will take that I'm, as a yes. I am not going to respond to that kind of personal attack, which is not a question. Yes or no? Would you support an armed faction within Venezuela that engages in war crimes, crimes against humanity, or genocide? if you believe they were serving U.S. interest 
as you did in Guatemala, El Salvador, and Nicaragua? I am not going to respond to that question. I'm sorry. I don't think this entire line of questioning is meant to be real questions, and so I will not reply. Whether you, under your watch, a genocide will take place, and you will look the other way because American interests were being upheld, is a fair question. Because the American people want to know that anytime we engage a country, that we think about what our actions could be and how we believe our values are being farthered. That is my question. Will you make sure that human rights are not violated and that we uphold international and human rights? I suppose there is a question in there, and the answer is that the entire thrust of American policy in Venezuela <clears throat> is to support the Venezuelan people's effort to restore democracy to their country. That's our policy. I don't think anybody disputes that. The question I had for you is that the interest, does the interest of the United States include protecting human rights and include protecting people against genocide? That is always the position of the United States. Thank you. I yield back my time. So that was so, uh, wow. <laughs> Congresswoman Ilan Omar uh, of, of Minnesota with uh, Donald Trump, special envoy to uh, Venezuela, Elliot Abrams, the disgraced Elliot Abrams, now brought back out of mothballs. What do you think of that? I think that that's very impressive, and I'm sure that's the first time Elliot Abrams has ever been questioned directly and pushed back against directly like that from any member of Congress at any time. Yeah, nice to see some actual real oversight about real U.S. foreign policy and its consequences over the decades. And not this pretend idea that we've forgotten all of the U.S. atrocities that have occurred in foreign policy over the last 40 years. And especially now that we are in the middle of this U.S. intervention where Donald Trump, the in Trump Venezuela. administration, what yeah. did I say? You, no, I'm just making oh, yeah, sure oh, it's yeah. clear. In Venezuela, uh, where the Donald Trump administration has declared, has recognized some guy who has, Juan Guaido, who has simply declared himself to be the president. And somehow our administration is, is uh, recognizing that as legitimate. Now, you might not like Maduro, the actual president of Venezuela, but I, I don't know that uh, this notion that the U.S. will project its uh, values in, in its belief in democracy by simply recognizing whoever stands up, raises their hand and says, I'm president of Venezuela to then be the president of Venezuela. By the way, uh, maybe I should have. I'm I'm the new president of Venezuela. <laughs> I just want to let everyone know that. And let's see if uh, Elliot Abrams and Donald Trump will will recognize me as the proper president of Venezuela. So nice to see someone uh, uh, calling him out for that. And uh, I, I would have run that anyway. But I think it's also important to run this week since there has been this 
Yes, Fox News-fueled attack on Elon Omar, who happens to be a Muslim, uh, declaring her, decrying her to be an anti-Semite because of comments that she made about uh, lobbying by APAC and so forth, the American-Israel Political Action Committee, despite the fact, and, and Donald Trump and uh, Mike Pence, Vice President of the United States, calling for her to step down, to resign because of these rather anodyne and accurate comments that uh, pale in comparison to anti to actually uh, anti-Semitic tropes that Donald Trump repeated over and over and over again during his campaign regarding APAC and Hillary Clinton and everything else. Anyway, uh, I would have played that no matter whether Omar was under attack, because I think it's just a great example of what, hey, that's what you folks bought when you voted for uh, for Elon Omar last year. That's just one of the things we're beginning to see from these uh, freshmen in uh, in Congress and from Democrats overall now that real hearings are beginning to be held. And I want to play one more along those lines. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, this was, you may have heard part of this because it's sort of been making the rounds since it happened last week. That's how long I've been trying to get to it here. As a, a writer over at Daily Coast had described this video, uh, saying, if we're going to make progress on an ambitious progressive agenda in Congress, we will have to shine sunlight on the vested interests that have held back such change in the past. That means explaining clearly and in an engaging format how exactly corruption and influence work on Capitol Hill. That's what AOC did in this clip, this uh, writer notes. Uh, with a five-minute lightning round game to see how much corrupt stuff she could get away with if she wanted to be a bad guy in Congress. So this is from a hearing in the House Oversight Committee last Wednesday. That previous clip with uh, Elon Omar was from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. This is the House Oversight Committee uh, last week pertaining to H.R. 1. That's the Democrats' massive elections and ethics reform bill. The hearing was titled H.R. 1, Strengthening Ethics Rules for the Executive Branch. And it features witnesses here heard uh, responding to questions from AOC, including Karen Hobart Flynn, uh, who's the president of Common Cause, Rudy uh, Merbani, the senior fellow at the Brennan Center for Justice, and Walter Schaub, the former director of the Office of Government Ethics. Here's that uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez corruption lightning round. Let's play a game. Let's play a lightning round game. I'm going to be the bad guy, which I'm sure half the room would agree with anyway. And, um, and I want to get away with as much bad things as possible, ideally to enrich myself and advance my interest even if that means putting, uh, putting my interests ahead of the American people. So, uh, Mrs. Hobart Flynn. Oh, and by the way, I have enlisted all of you as my co-conspirators. So you're gonna help me legally get away with all of this. So, Mrs. Hobart Flynn, I want to run. If I wanna run a campaign that is entirely funded by corporate political action committees, is, that, is there anything that legally prevents me from doing that? No. Okay, so there's nothing stopping me from being entirely funded by corporate PACs, say from the fossil fuel industry, the healthcare industry, big pharma, I'm entirely 100% lobbyist PAC uh, funded. 
Okay, so let's say I'm a really, really bad guy. And let's say I have some skeletons in my closet that I need to cover up so that I can get elected. Um, Mr. Smith, is it true that you wrote this article, this opinion piece for the Washington Post entitled, these payments to women were unseemly, that doesn't mean they were illegal? Well, I can't see the piece, but I wrote a piece under that headline in the post, so I assume that's right. Okay, great. So, green light for hush money. I can do all sorts of terrible things. It's totally legal right now for me to pay people off. And that is considered speech. That money is considered speech. So I use my special interest dark money funded campaign to pay off folks that I need to pay off and get elected. So now I'm elected, now I'm in. I've got the power to draft, lobby, and shape the laws that govern the United States of America. Fabulous. Now, is there any hard limit that I have? Perhaps, uh, Mrs. Hobart Flynn, is there any hard limit that I have in terms of what legislation I'm allowed to touch? Are there any limits on the laws that I can write or influence, especially if I'm uh, based on the uh, special interest funds that I accepted to finance my campaign and get me elected in the first place? There's no limit. So there's none. So I can be totally funded by oil and gas. I can be totally funded by big pharma. Come in, write big pharma laws, and there's no limits to that whatsoever. That's right. Okay. So, awesome. Now, uh, <laughs> now Mr. Marabani, the last thing I want to do is get rich with as little work possible. That's really what I'm trying to do as the bad guy, right? So is there anything preventing me from holding stocks, say, in an oil or gas company, and then writing laws to deregulate that, that industry and cause, you know, that could potentially cause the stock value to soar and accrue a lot of money in that time? You could do that. So I could do that. I could do that now with the way our current laws are, are set up. Yes? Yes. Okay, great. Okay, so my last question is, or one of my last questions, I guess I'd say, is, is it possible that any elements of this story apply to our current government and our current public servants right now? Yes. Yes. So we have a system that is fundamentally broken. We have these influences existing in this body, which means that these influences are here in this committee shaping the questions that are being asked of you all right now. Would you say that that's correct, yes. Mr. Marabani? Or Mr. Schaub? Yes. All right, so one last thing, uh, Mr. Schaub. In relation to congressional oversight that we have, the limits that are placed on me as a congresswoman, compared to the executive branch and compared to, say, the President of the United States, would you say that Congress has the same sort of standard of accountability? Are there, is there more teeth in that regulation in Congress on the president, or would you say it's about even, or more so on the federal? Um, in terms of laws that apply to the president, mm -hmm. yeah, there's just almost no laws at all that apply to the president. So I'm being held, and every person in this body is being held to a higher ethical standard than the president of the United States. That's right, because there are some committee, uh, ethics committee rules that apply to you. And it's already super legal, as we've seen, for me to be a pretty bad guy. So right. it's even easier for the President of the United States to be one, I would assume. That's right. Thank you very much.
No, thank you very much. That was uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the um, uh, Senate. Uh, I'm sorry, the House, not yet in the Senate, the House Oversight Committee last week. Um, boy, I, I, you know, I well, I hope that was enlightening. Yeah. Oversight returns to the U.S. Congress. What a concept. Oversight and uh, this helpful explanation of just how few laws, rules, uh, you know, keep our Congress members and our president of the United States from being completely beholden to uh, to corporate bad guys uh, and uh, not just be beholden to them, but make money for themselves. Not that she's pointing out anyone in particular here. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I do hope that was enlightening. Uh, I've been wanting to play that for a week. Uh, and frankly, if AOC were to resign tomorrow, she already would have brought more important light and action to this uh, to Congress than I think many members have done there after years in the People's House, frankly, uh, including that round of questioning and, of course, uh, her Green New Deal which Fox News is naturally freaking out about. So naturally, Desi Doyen is on the job <laughs> uh, as we take a break here and come back with our latest Green News report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. The Bradcast and the Green News report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's your Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Boy, it's been quite a week since the uh, Green New Deal was introduced. Uh, seeing the uh, heads explode on the right, the Republicans in Congress, and it's the been House, rather the Senate, entertaining, Fox I must News. say. <laughs> uh, it is. Uh, as we uh, well, as we discuss, we'll have more on this uh, after our latest Green News report. Living this green dream is actually a national nightmare. Republicans move quickly to demonize the Green New Deal. The world is truly under threat. Scientists say from a catastrophic collapse of nature's ecosystems. New study warns insects are declining at an alarming rate. Massive public lands bill passes in the Senate. Plus... This is the beginning of the end of natural gas at the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. Los Angeles ditches natural gas for electricity. Really? All of those stories and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. I really don't like their policy of taking away your car, of taking away your airplane flights. You're not allowed to own cows anymore. Wow, he must have read a different Green New Deal than I did. Either that or he's an incredible, unrepentant liar. I wonder which one it is. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, man, man, 
these right wingers are really flipping out about the Green New Deal for some reason. Oh, yes, they are. The Green New Deal, that sweeping joint resolution to tackle climate change and create millions of jobs that was proposed by Democratic Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And it's only a resolution. It's not even legislation. Indeed. Press on. They proposed it last week. It is having an impact. Republican (laughs) Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell on Tuesday said he plans to bring the Green New Deal resolution up for a vote. Good. We'll give everybody an opportunity to go on record and uh, see how they feel about the Green uh, New Deal. Wait, I thought that he would only bring up things for a vote in the Senate if the president would sign them. Republicans are intentionally misleading the public with a flood of false talking points attacking a retracted draft document that was erroneously posted by Ocasio-Cortez's office. It contained language that is not in the official resolution. Fox News, right-wing media, and dark money groups are already spreading it all around. Republican Senator John Barrasso of Wyoming flat out lied about it on the Senate floor this week. There's another victim of the Green New Deal. It's ice cream. Livestock will be banned. Say goodbye to dairy, to beef, to family farms, to ranches. American favorites like cheeseburgers and a milkshake will become a thing of the past. (laughs) What? Ever. And of course, that is all a lie. So the messaging battle is on in advance of the 2020 election. However, new polling does show that millennials so far support the Green New Deal by a 30 point margin over their older cohorts. Well, that's only because the right wing slime machine has has yet to really get underway. I hope the Democrats have a plan to answer that false message with the truth. But there was a rare bit of good news out of the Senate. This week, the Senate overwhelmingly passed a sweeping public lands bill. It will permanently authorize the popular Land and Water Conservation Fund, designate more than a million acres of federal land as protected wilderness, and expand a handful of national parks and monuments. Cool. It's likely to pass the House, but it's still unclear if Trump will sign it. Meanwhile, a disturbing new study warns that insects are in serious decline because of humans, and at the current rate, could go extinct within a century, threatening, quote, a catastrophic collapse of nature's ecosystems. Which insects? All of them. All insects? All of them. The first ever global scientific review of research found that globally, more than 40% of all insect species are in decline, with a rate of extinction eight times faster than that of mammals, birds, and reptiles. The primary driver of the decline is intensive agriculture, particularly the heavy use of pesticides, along with habitat loss and climate change. Well, I hate insects. They uh, bite me all the time. Why should I be concerned about this? They are required for your food supply. Well, I don't eat insects. They're part of the food web and therefore required for the food that you eat. Okay. I hear they're banning cows and ice cream anyway, so what do I care? In California, new Democratic Governor Gavin Newsom announced he is scaling back a voter-approved high-speed rail project between San Francisco and Los Angeles due to massive cost overruns. A segment already under construction in the state's Central Valley will be completed, and he left the door open to a full statewide high-speed rail project in the future. But it's a setback that underscores the difficulty of building transformative infrastructure projects like high-speed rail.
And finally, some good news. Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti announced this week that the nation's second largest city is phasing out natural gas, canceling plans to spend billions of dollars rebuilding three existing natural gas power plants and opting instead to spend that money building renewable energy projects. In a press conference, Garcetti said the decision will mitigate climate change and improve local air quality and also generate jobs. This is what a Green New Deal looks like. So L.A. is getting rid of all coal power and all natural gas power. We will be 100 percent renewable here in Los Angeles. Yep. Nice. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Oh, no, we're going to rock down to Electric Avenue. And then we'll take it higher. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Yeah. Uh, you had, uh, as I said, we had a follow-up here concerning Fox News and their freakout. Well, A, I should say, great news. If this all happens here in Los Angeles, uh, that we're getting rid of both coal and natural gas. Yeah. That's very cool. I agree. Uh, but It's better for air quality, too. Lots of less pollution. As Me- far as the messaging goes, uh, we were referring to in the uh, on the Green News Report and yes. the way the uh, Fox and the right are freaking out. Well, we actually have some hard numbers to underscore their freak out. Yes. Media Matters did a quick analysis, and they said that Fox News dominated primetime cable coverage of the Green New Deal. Between February 7 and February 11th, Fox News aired 34 segments on the Green New Deal. <laughs> in its primetime shows, but MSNBC and CNN together Ah. aired only 11. Wow. And this is after Fox News has spent years not mentioning anything about climate, climate change, or anything else. All of a sudden, they've taken an interest. Yeah, the Green New Deal is getting more coverage on Fox than anywhere else. But as I said, I hope the Democrats have a plan to respond to that messaging before it takes hold, just like as we discussed at the top of the show, the lies when they took Hillary Clinton out of context to say that she was, uh, you know, wanting to put coal miners out of business. Um, You know, there's nothing that compares to Fox News when it comes to messaging. Nothing anywhere. Okay, we've got to get out. Thank you, uh, our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And I hope you will find, follow, and share what we do here. Help us make noise with it on the Twitters and the Facebooks, where you'll find me at simply the Brad Blog. Finally, my thanks to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help Desi and me continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. We only do it with your support. You're the ones who keep us going. So uh, thanks for stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 